I got to tell you, we definitely don't win the award for best background. You have this weird kind of David Lynchian blue curtain. Yeah, I know. It's with that aura, that green screen aura. And I have me, I know as a, as a director, you're horrified by how blown out this. That's better. Thank you. That's better. Well, can I just do that? Yeah, sure. No, take that no. now, please. Okay. Can I Let's just do this. that? This is like, what's it called? Blown out or <laughs> the carrots. Do the carrots. That's, that's delightful. Do the carrots. That's it. Okay. <laughs> so that was, that was because I was talking on a Zoom the other day and uh, the people on the Zoom were going, uh, we're talking about how many, how orange they look, um, how orange they look because they just like eat these little carrots from um, Whole Foods all the time. These pre pre prepped carrots, you know, like the little party carrots, like a baby carrot, like, like a, a baby, baby carrot. carrot. There you go, like baby carrot, penile, you know, carrots, a little baby a baby cock carrot. Yeah, and um, <laughs> so so I found this little thing and put it up there to cause a minute moment of laughter and then it sort of just dissipated but i can go back to my blue curtain you can go back you I, have I can have lots, of, can have los are, angeles um there you go that what are we or, looking at here is that a combination of hong kong and and the alps what no, is that's that's uh la from from uh baldwin hills or wherever it is oh wow back okay. in the winter but we could also have the millennium Falcon. okay let's not let's not do like a, a virtual background fiesta let's stick to the blue curtain but I need to clarify a few things. Uh, first of all, I want to introduce you. My guest today is acclaimed. As hang, I on, said, hang on, hang on. Go back, go back, because my camera fell down. For oh, no, we don't want the camera to fall down. We are streaming live on Facebook, by the way. Yeah, I know, but for... Hundreds of thousands of people are watching. Hundreds of thousands, actually. Yeah, I'm sure even Mark Zuckerberg has just oh, stopped he's everything in. he's doing. Yeah, he's tuning um, in. It's in there, yeah. Um, totally. I don't have a mic stand, so I just have to kind of hold this. Yeah, up. no, me too. I don't have a mic stand either. Uh, anyway, here we go. Okay. I'd like to introduce Thank my you. guest today. Uh, can you, can, I'd like to introduce my guest today, acclaimed, as I said many times before. T, can I, I don't want to say TV director because you've directed other stuff, but the work, re, the recent work of past years has been um, television. Uh, Tristram Shapiro. Now I need to break down this name before we, because you obviously you're you're English. I you're am extremely Caucasian. I mean, right now you have a pink hue. You're a little bit pink. I don't know if it's the blue curtain, but you do have a nice pink hue to you. Um, I think it's the light kicking off my beautiful Danish um, oh, century desk, and that is a beautiful color. And I think that my angle poise light is. See, look, it's kicking. Oh, there it is. Okay, so you there don't look is. as as peachy. No, are, are uh, I look like I've got massively high blood pressure or anything. Well, <laughs> your history is a boozer. Shapiro has two E's. It sure does. Now, is it? A, it's a Jewish name, is it not? It is. Okay. Now, are you a hundred percent Jewish from all sides? No. And that's it. I'm getting monosyllabic answer. You want to break it down a little bit for me or no? No. Okay. Yes, right. of course. No, I, th it, it, okay. So basically, yes, uh, I'm not my, on my father's side, it is all Jewish all the way. And, um, but my grandfather married a Gentile. So that's where it oh. kind of stops. Um, yeah, I know. I, I don't know if I like the disappointment in your in your voice there. It's not disappointment. <laughs> I'm a fan. Of, as I said, I'm a fan of the Jews, and I have many of them on my podcast. So when you, I always like a nice juxtaposition when someone says they're Jewish, and you know, yeah, and it's spelled weird, and your first name is Tr Tristram. Tristram, yes. Okay, so the 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 last name was uh, because it was like Shapira or something. So my gra okay. my great grandfather came. He's called Ezekiel. 
So you can't get more Ezekiel. Jewish than that, right? Like so, 46% of my cousins are called Ezekiel. Right, and exactly, exactly. Which must be <laughs> odd in the South, Ray Lynn. Sounds like, <laughs> um, but anyway. I'm called Shapiro, that's for sure. No, exactly. But it, so my, my grandfather, great-grandfather, um, he came over from the Austro-Hungarian Empire, which was now, which is now in the Ukraine. Right. Uh, and uh, so he, so he, when he came to England, he wanted to make the, uh, make the Shapira name he wanted to give it a more of a western look not like an american western look but uh, he was, just, he was know, trying to assimilate into the, into the gentile community exactly so when it was written down on the page you know signing letters and whatever right. shapiro with two e's and i think he would, that was just a little sort of you know little devil in him that just sort of went well i'm going to do two e's why not uh, and he did that. If I'm already forsaking my faith. People have died to sustain their their religious practice, but I'm just going to willfully add two E's. Right. Yeah. That's pretty much where he's that's, coming from. That's what he that. did. Yeah. Okay. Uh, totally. So there we are. So now that's that's all of the Shapiros. And then Tristram is a weird thing. So I was born in a little village uh, called South Cadbury in Somerset. Okay. And at the bottom of this village... Um, is that your email that's pinging? It is. I'm just, I'm just now turning to my thing to uh, do not disturb. Yeah, maybe uh, mute so that will... shit. There you yeah, go. I'm muting it. Okay. Yeah, but if I mute it, I wouldn't be able to hear you. So. Oh, okay. Uh, Don't mute it that way. Right, right, right. No. Just meant close it, turn it off, whatever. I'm adding do not disturb, so we will not be disturbed. Thank you so much. Um, anyway, so Tristram was because uh, born in this village called South Cadbury in Somerset. At the bottom of the village, there was this old um, sort of Saxon hill fort, which rumor had it was uh, that it was the legendary site of King Arthur's Camelot. Oh, wow. And in King Arthur's Camelot... Uh, there was a round table, as I'm sure you know, and one of the, the knights in the round table was called Sir Tristram. So my father decided that uh, we should go with Sir Tristram as opposed to Guinevere or Lancelot or any of the others. But Tristram. Can I ask you an ignorant brother. question? Um, you know, maybe it's not ignorant. Maybe it's common ignorance, which makes it less ignorant. Uh, was the King Arthur like a real thing? The court in yes. Camelot, it was a real, it was, he was real royalty and, and these are all real people? Uh, apparently so. Um, that, yes, I mean, they, they know that, that he existed for sure, okay. but all of the legend around it is, you know, probably mythical and, uh, you know, okay. I don't think there are okay. ladies you in the Brits lake. with your freaking royalty and King John and King Henry and King whatever. Well, Sorry. I don't know. Maybe America should try it. Maybe America should go back to a... a <laughs> well, we're le going and, in that uh, direction, aren't we? Well, we're going to a dictatorship, yes. but that's slightly different than a monarchy. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you get a loopy one like King George, which is oh, where... Oh, man. Why we're I don't here know enough about um, history. My, my biggest problem, Tristram... And so what is... Wait, before I go into my flaws as a human being, what is Tristram Shandy? What is that? And uh, what's that's, Tristram that's a, without an well, Tristram Shandy was a, a novel um, that was written in the 1700s by, and I should know this, but I can't remember it's who okay. wrote it. Um, but it's um, it's a very difficult book to read. It's written in sort of, you know, um, 17th century um, Old English, and it's a very hard, right. I've tried, I've tried to read it. And um, and I got to like page six and gave up. And you're like, uh, I'm done. It's like Ulysses. Yeah, right. Not, okay. Yeah. And um, anyway, so, you know, let's be honest, I'm only reading this book because it's, we share the same. Yeah, of course. Of <laughs> so course. I'm going to give up. Um, but that's, that's who Tristram Shandy was. So it's the sort of the life and times of Tristram Shandy was the... Uh, Didn't they make a movie about it with, with Steve Coogan they, or something? They did. Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. I think that was Michael Winterbottom. They made this, I can't remember what it was called, but it was basically behind the scenes of them trying to make the book 
Tristram Shandy. So they were doing an adaptation of the the book. Oh, that's funny. And so this was the whole thing behind the scenes, and um, and so the movie was like a behind the scenes documentary about you know, the makings. Of. I like those guys. I gotta say, I like, I like them. I like all their movies, a trip to Greece, a trip to Spain, a trip to, yeah. they're, they're a fun duo to watch. Well, they're very talented. I mean, Bryden is, Rob Bryden is very talented. Of course, I did, um, you know, of course <laughs> I like directed. Steve Coogan is not. <laughs> no, 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 I would far, but no, Steve Coogan is incredibly talented. And, um, and, you know, I directed Alan Partridge, his, his big character yes. in uh, the UK. Yes. So, uh, he is, um, no, he's a lovely guy and, um, and, uh, you know, really, really, really amazing. Cause those scripts, were never written on time. You know, this is all Amanda Anucci, who everybody knows right. from Veep and uh, Veep. Uh, yeah, and 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 other things. And he's um, English too. Uh, Armando is a Scottish Italian. Okay, is he single? That sounds like a really sexy combo, Scottish and he Italian. Is, he is not single. He's happily married with no. Uh, no. a multitude of children. Oh, but, really? Like so, a brood. Uh, he's got a brood, a Scottish okay. brood of kids. Right. Um, like a Brad Pitt brood style thing. Yeah, I'm not sure as many as them. And okay. none of them are adopted. Uh, I know that. Well, who knows? His wife had to pop them all out. I know that I know that drill. <laughs> I, have a, I have beyond a brood. Yeah, how many um, do you have, Raylan? About between 28 and 32, depending on my memory lapse of right. Okay, days. But it's all as a so, surrogate. That's quite a lot. So I would say that for most of your adult life, you've been pregnant. Uh, yeah, well, thank you. You make me younger than I am. I feel like I've had about 30 years not pregnant, about 30 years of pregnant, but no, I'm not. Saying, yeah, so something like that. I mean, you know, and I, it's pretty much just a zipper here instead of a C-section. You know what I mean? They just zip it open and zip it back. Yeah, there's only Because I want to keep my hoo-ha tight. So it's not like I'm going to pop out 34 kids. You know what I no, mean? But no, because that would be, yeah, that's, it's that's horrific. I had a friend who did, a, for her 60th birthday, she got vaginal rejuvenation. They literally melt your lab, like they melt your tunnel inside and re-sculpt it. They, they literally melt your vaginal tunnel with lasers and re-sculpt it. She's happy as a clam now. She's dating some 22-year-old who's like, it's like Very sleeping good. with a 15-year-old virgin, but she's 60. Yeah. So I guess there's a weird juxtaposition. You know what I mean? When you wow. see someone in front of you and then you feel something else and you're like, mm. this doesn't feel accurate. No, but can they, can they, I mean, is there such a thing where you can mold it to your partner's penis? I guess so, especially if he's small, you want to mold it accordingly so his ego's not bruised. You know what I mean? You don't want to right. do the hot dog down a hallway situation. You do not. You do not want to stick in a Wellington boot, as we would say in the, uh, <laughs> in, in, in the United Kingdom. Uh, you guys always do it classier than I do. Yeah, I mean, and make sure the Wellington boot's a hunter, that's for sure. But um... <laughs> Now, Trish, no. I have been, yeah. a, um, I've been a fan of your work. I feel like most of the work I know of yours is comedy, which I think in the world of TV directing is much more crucial. I feel like a lot of the TV directing and drama, except if it's one of those highly stylized dramas, which I guess have a, which the more prestige dramas, but the procedural stuff, it just feels like the director's a choreographer. You know what I mean? Like there's not as much artistic input as a director would like as opposed to film. But with comedy, I feel like a good director can make or break you know, an episode or especially a pilot, which these things hinge upon, would that be an accurate statement? I, I believe it would be. Oh, yes. I feel, I feel suddenly when you said that it was an accurate statement, I felt like you, I was on the dock uh, <laughs> in some kind of Southern prosecutor going, would that be an accurate statement? Oh man, do you, <laughs> do you get, agree? Would Do you agree that? I'm going to get slam dunked in this cross-examination here. No, <laughs> I, so I agree with thing. you. 
I know, Gwen, that's, yeah, you sort of slightly look like a little cartoon character there when you put it up, like it's a giant nose. Uh, um, but uh, no, to answer your question, I agree with you. Um, I think that, um, you know, obviously film is an auteur's medium and television is, um, the writer. you know, very much a writer's medium. And so <clears throat> it's certainly in comedy, I feel like, and I, I've never really directed drama, but um, I... Uh -oh. I uh, like but I tried to put a lot of drama into the comedy because oh we, oh do, do you have me now? I, I do I, I have see you. Now. What did yes. you what did you miss? Yes. What did you miss? Nothing. No, no, I just got a little distort, got a little glitchy. Oh, okay. Um, but no, I think that um, yeah, you're absolutely right because look, all these comedy writers, they certainly sort of in episodic uh, network television. I think that's you know, and I've done a lot of that. You know, all these writers, you know, sit up in um, their room and they write their jokes and they want to see them reflected on the screen. So you have to know, as a comedy director, you have to know where the jokes are and how to land them properly. And you know, and I think that. Um, there are some shows i've done some shows where they just want you literally are just a camera pointer and i don't go back to those shows because that's not interesting for me but other shows you know you can really add something to what's being what's being um done and and you can um uh, you have uh you know you have i believe you know we have a job to do which is to you know is this the funniest is this the best is this how can we make it better you know um and sometimes the answer is no the joke's great as it is and you know but other times we can you know i hate that phrase you know people go oh well, well it's putting a hat on a hat you know <laughs> I hate that, but you know, like if you're trying to embellish it too much, it's you know we're we're putting a hat on a hat or or gilding the lily, as we would say in the right. UK. Uh, but um, look, I think it's um, I think that um, it's a comedy's a collaboration, and ultimately it's the showrunners who are doing. You 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 know you can't be a comedy director and real and think that you have any kind of uh, massive vision for the show other than to land the jokes and to deliver an episode of their show that they expect to see you know now within that you can you know there are you know subtle things you can do and the blocking and you can you know certainly work with actors on performance and things like that I, i'm a you know i like to think that i uh, I'm a good performance director because, you know, uh, and people say, well, you know, but it's season four, episode 10, you know, I mean, these characters know what they're doing. And I say, yes, but this is the first time that we've ever told this story with these characters in this world. So there is something new that's happening here. So let's, you know, let's examine it. Sometimes the actors need a little, some help to get over the line. They get a little complacent. They're just doing their job. It becomes factory they're television. They're phoning it in they're phoning it in sometimes and not everybody but you can get very complacent and so my job I feel like is to sort of you know go in there it's the first first or second or third time I'm doing the show and I try and you know get some energy going and uh, all of that kind of stuff but doing a pilot then of course it's much more like um, you are creating a world right. you are creating a set of characters with uh, with the showrunner and so how so you have a much more important uh, task of how to you know how this world is going to land how the audience are going to see it and uh, and that's a lot of fun so um you know you feel like when you've come on these pilots for the most part and can you outline an experience where that didn't happen where the showrunner has a vision and you are just a choreographer or for the most part have they really been collaborative with you about talking about the look of the show the pace you know what i mean or do you feel like well, the showrunners like, like they're king and you're always underneath them well, um, I think I think there are. It depends on the showrunner, you know. Well, I mean, yeah, that's what I mean. So, do yeah, you know, for the most uh, part, right? 
It does. I mean, I did a show that will remain nameless. I did one episode of it and I, and I um, hated every second of my uh, tenure there. Um, and largely because, you know, um, you know, my pitches, my ideas, my thoughts about how to do the scene or whatever, the showrunner just would very sweetly, just everything I asked was just like, uh, no, I think we're good with, you know, just how, yeah, no. I mean, it was a kind of a show also where on the first, the second morning after I'd shot my first day, the editor, I was summoned to go and see the editor. I was like, what? And uh, well, we haven't met, so uh, let's go and say hello. And then he was telling me how to shoot their show uh, based on the on the rushes. And, and it was based on this one shot that I had done where, um, you know, it was two people in bed uh first of all it's so boring two people in bed you know it's just, and so i was trying to make it visually interesting so usually at least they just got... have that shot from the top that classic right, exactly. where people fall asleep like this they fall asleep with their heads directly up yeah exactly. and they're you know made up they're always made up no one ever looks crusty ever no they don't uh so i i was doing something i did not do that shot which was Good. not asked for Thank but you. i don't i because I, I have an aversion to that kind of stuff but um, I just I, anyway the point of the matter is is that I did a, a kind of a wide shot I had some track laid out down to the you know to the bedroom so the guy gets from the bathroom comes into bed says the first line getting into bed which at least you know was an embellishment what was written in the script and made it a little bit more interesting then the camera pushes in it just repositions so that we can cut out of the singles that we were going to the closer shots that we were going to do so it was a kind of just a you know it was a two for one kind of uh, shot you know right. and so he said well we don't do these long we don't do these like push-ins you know we don't do that I was like, well, did you read the notes on the, from the script supervisor? I said, well, yeah, uh, well, I glanced at them. Uh, okay. Yeah. So we'll have a look because it says there that this is a, to use the top of the shot for the, uh, for the opening for that first line getting into bed. And then it's a camera reposition to the rest of the scene where you have that shot to cut out to if you need to, you know, you know, get away from the close-ups that you were doing. That's when you went, oh, right. Okay. Yeah. And I was just like, fuck. <clears throat> it's right. me. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> you know, honestly. Anyway, so that show, and also the the DP. Did that show do the, well? Was that a successful show? Oh yeah, oh, yeah. Well, now I'm dying to fucking know who it oh, is. Maybe oh. afterwards you can whisper it to me in my ear, and I will never post uh, it. But ever and the DP media. was a massive, massive misogynist as well, which was just. I've awful. met a lot of DPs in my time. They're all kind of misogynist, even the female ones. No, I'm kidding, but. Uh, <laughs> I've met for some reason DPs. I've met some nice DPs um, on the multicams, I guess. But the uh, the DPs, a lot of them are just divas, and I guess they're frustrated because they want to be directors too. Is that where possibly, that comes from? Possibly. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, this guy, this guy, I found out later was in the middle of a very um, acrimonious uh, divorce from his wife, oh. and uh, so I think that coloured it. But even so, I mean, Jesus Christ, some of the stuff he was saying to me. Uh, about their female directors and you know stuff and he would you know he would uh, the the female ad who was wonderful and lovely uh would absolutely say look uh, we need um you know how long do you need to light this scene it's a bigger deal you know yeah, yeah, yeah. what's her job you know yeah, yeah exactly and she, she would go i need about 45 minutes to light this and you go okay fine so we'll schedule it you know right. and then the fucker would do it in 20 minutes and what then an we're, dead the, we're dead in the water for 25 minutes because we don't have the cast, you know, because yeah, she is they're in makeup and they're like, taking their time. And, and she had organized it efficiently based on the information that yeah. he had given her. So it, it, anyway, 
the great thing is, is that um, later she got to direct lots and lots of episodes with him as the DP. So oh, good. I hope she treated him that. like a I piece she, of shit. I hope she fucked him in there. You know what's annoying is like, there's, it's always a debate for me. Let me ask you a question. It's a debate for me. Does it, is it worth working with assholes if their work is amazing? Um, do you know what I mean? Do you work with an actor who's brilliant but is a nightmare on set but the end product is phenomenal. Uh, do you know what I mean? Is, are you of that school? Or are you the school of like, there are enough talented people that are all so nice? Or you're like, no, you can't worry about that shit. Who's the best person for the project? Well, I mean, I don't, well, if you're talking about actors, you know, I mean, that's well, actors are usually the ones that write that can be the most different, that have the power yeah, to be the most difficult. People in the people in the crews, you know, that think they're, you know, right. and people have personal issues and they, it bubbles over to the set, you know, yeah. and that's very difficult sometimes. I don't, I subscribe to the, the point of view that we are incredibly lucky working in this business that we do. We could be all about to go out and assess another insurance claim, you know, our yeah. 58th of the week. This is and, not to um, offend any insurance adjusters. Okay, sorry, I just want no, to that No, no, I'm just saying profession, that they're all even insurance adjusters might, might uh, agree in yeah. private after a couple of drinks that perhaps their job is not uh, the most dry. dry. Uh, yeah, and also they're in the market of denying claims too. Right, like, that's true. They're asshole. You know, why did I justify them? They're dicks. They're just yeah, peons. Totally. Of the Come on, Ray Lynn. Agency. You're Come right. on. You're right. No, you're um, right. Yeah, and I know with your, you know, with your 23rd child, there was that insurance hoo-ha at the yeah. hospital where, you know, they denied your claim. Then I got a bill for $66,000 and all I did was that's come right. in for a little adjustment. That's right. Yeah. Um, but because uh, I think it was they wouldn't uh, they wouldn't provide the zipper. That was the, the zipper the thing. Zipper. Well, yeah, I wanted a zipper. I wanted like I wanted Velcro initially just to really make it yeah. accessible. Or one of those little was... curtains that join together with magnets. <laughs> I love those. I, mean, I have that at home. It, yeah. That talk shit about makes accessible. me so happy. I am like, I, I don't mind. I don't get excited by the space shuttle, but I would get excited by two things, magnetic things that stick together. The magic yeah. of that is the joy of that is never. It's so satisfying. Magnets yeah, I, are I, so satisfying. They are. I don't think there's a person on the planet that wouldn't disagree with I you. I mean, they're just satisfying. There's yeah. just that that click. That because you know what I think deep down we all want a connection, and when you see things yes. connect so perfectly and so strongly, yes. except when you flip mm. it over and then they repel, which is most of us. I was thinking exactly the you same thing. You know what thing. I'm saying. But, um, you know, but, but that's also a big stress reliever, you know, to actually get two magnets and turn them around and, and try and make them connect. And make them stick. That's and, like and, me with all my ex-boyfriends. Like, just call me back. Call me back. And they're like, we don't want to see you. I'm like, call me back. I keep trying to flip it. Flip well, you know, at least, at least they're not ghosting you. They're honest. They're saying, I don't want to see you. Well, that's the first four times. Yeah. Then the ghosting starts and the blocking. And I'm like, dude, I have 66 Google numbers. You can't block me. I will be texting <laughs> you. The numbers are endless these days. It's very simple. But to get back to your point is yes, that please. I do think that there's not... Uh, you know, we, we're so lucky to do, like on Community, you know, we had... Uh, where Chevy was, uh, you know, as well documented. He's known to be a raging asshole, that guy. Well, I mean, far be it. For, actually, you know, there's a lot of sweet qualities to Chevy. Oh, did you know that he's a classically trained um, uh, pianist? Up to I concert. did not know that. I don't know if that makes him a nice person, but at least he's got some talent. You know, the, the, he's a bit of a nomin an, an anomaly, I think, because here's a guy, uh, rare for Hollywood, you know, who's been married to the same woman for, you know, 35, 40 years, right. got three beautiful, wonderful daughters. You know, he's a very proud family man, but yet can behave in such a monstrous manner on set sometimes, you know, yeah. and say the things that he did. But, um, you know, so on the flip side of that are all those, um, and I know I don't want to generalize to men, but it's mostly men 
that are the most charming, sweet, mesmerizing people, but they're also cheaters because that's they're so charming. It works in their fate. You know what I mean? So maybe Chevy has been loyal because he's such a raging asshole when he's not at home that nobody wants anything to do with him. Just, just a thought, just a, just a theory. I, I, I think that I think that that is an excellent thought. Um, Thank you. But Thank he you so was much. a bit of a raging douche. Um, there's <laughs> lots of there's lots of uh, reasons that I've I've thought over the years as to why he did this. And you know, you get asked by NBC to come and be on a show, primetime network show. Um, you know, and you think fine, and he probably thought great. Um, you know, NBC are coming to their senses. Let's get some real uh, comedy right. geniuses involved here. And then you get there, everybody's, you know, more talented than you. Like, Oops. look at that cast that we had. Yeah. And uh, everybody's more talented than you. Everybody's younger than you. Everybody's funnier than you, you know. And suddenly I think that he sort of acted up like that to sort of, um, and, it, and it's a common thing. You, you, I've worked with actors too where uh, they do, all that they can do to distract from the fact that they're giving shitty performances. And so they'll be, you know, they'll question everything. They'll throw a little mini tantrum. And oh, Jesus. You know, that's, yeah, no, it's, it, there's so much psychology involved in all of this business. And look, I, the, the, the one thing that you have to do is because uh, these people are giving their performances in front of the camera. I'm not, you're not, you know, well, sometimes you do, but uh, I'm not, and I couldn't, and I don't know how to do that. Right. Uh, so I take my hat off to each and every person who gets in front of the camera. But also with that, there is a unwritten rule, which is I will do everything I can to make your situation as comfortable and as uh, as wonderful as possible to give this performance but don't treat us all like dicks you know don't yeah. don't be don't yeah. be rude you know we're gonna fawn over backwards and give you everything you need but just at least be a human being and it's very difficult and power corrupts absolutely and um you know fame absolutely corrupts and you know it's it's a very difficult thing i, I wouldn't want to be on that um actor treadmill where you start getting plaudits and everybody goes oh my god you're amazing you're just you know da -da -da. yeah you're fed all you this stuff your head. that yeah, messes yeah. up with your internal sense of worth but to go back i don't think it's worth it so certainly on the crew level yeah crew no, definitely not television. i mean look it's, i guess it's a dilemma because tv is not it's like if i were a if i were a first-time filmmaker you know what I mean? And I was, maybe I was sensitive. I wasn't like as tough, thick skinned. And I'm, you know, I'm intimidated by the people I bring on set. But I had, this is what I de daydream about when I'm flicking my bean, by the way. This is me being a first time director. And I get a chance to cast someone who is notoriously, uh, not even notoriously, maybe he reveals himself to be a dick. You know what I mean? But huge star and can really make the movie. But three months of my life are a complete nightmare and maybe I get sick and come down with an illness. You know what I mean? It's so bad. But at the end of the day, the film itself, the performance is phenomenal. Do I cast that actor knowing that this will be hell on earth? Or do I, you know what I mean? And that's, that's a tricky question because I talked to some directors about it and they're like, yeah, of course you do. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, depend, I think it depends what the project is. Like if it if you're trying to, is this you know, gonna make, it's going to make you, this thing is going to make you, you know what I mean? Well, then it's you like, do, you have to go through that pain to get yeah. suffering for your art. You do, you do. And maybe, you know, I think a lot of directors might be also of the opinion that maybe I'll be the one that tames them. 
Yeah, I don't have illusions of that. I would, yeah, I'd probably need to the hell out of them all day. I'm sure other directors do. Or you kind of lull yourself into a full sense of security that, no, they really like the project. I think this is going to be something that they will do to the best that, you know, but all these people, I think that they, you know, they rule like, uh, they rule with an iron fist, you know, because it creates an, it creates an aura an aura around them and it also creates a way that everybody is they love to feel that power and that everybody's running scared of them you know and it's it's really difficult i mean it's tough i mean i've been in that situation uh, have you ever had to want to fire an actor midway uh yeah and did you or did you say to the showrunner, I'd like to fire this person? They're like, no, you got to some, keep them. Some, sometimes, well, there was a sh- one show I was doing uh, and it was, a, it was a show and it was the first incarnation of this character that was going to have probably a two or three, uh, four or five episode arc on the show. And I had directed the pilot of the show. This was deep into like season three or four or something. And, um, and we had this guy... And I found him incredibly hard to work with in terms of knowing what the show was was and what that character was required to deliver. We got we got it, but I did. I remember going back to the showrunners and saying, um, honestly, if it were me, I would recast this guy. I found him really hard to work with, really difficult. Of course, they didn't fire him; they kept him, and you know, and everybody was, you know, because I mean, on the TV schedule, when, when are you going to? There's gonna no time to recast, that? right? So, you know, oh, fuck it, you know, well, we'll have to just deal with it in editing and, you know, and that's the other thing is, you know, people are, when you have a disaster, you know, I was doing an episode of Nurse Jackie once and uh, the wonderful actress, Marion uh, Seldes came mm-hmm. um, to work with us and um, it was the first piece of work she had done uh, in over a year because she had slipped on some ice at the theater in New oh, York Jesus. and broken her shoulder. And she was, right. you know, in her late She's 70s. not a young woman. Yeah. Not a young woman. Yeah. She could, and it was awful. The first rehearsal, <clears throat> excuse me, the first right. rehearsal was, um, she couldn't do any of the, um, uh, she did. So we said action and we all just awkwardly waited. There was silence. She wouldn't say the first line. And, and I had to go in and go, Oh, uh, Mary, we're, we're just going to rehearse this. So if you'd like to say the first line, we can, you know, kick the scene off, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, oh yes. Oh yes. Oh yes. 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 I understand. Yes. And, um, and so we did it again a great big silence and it was clear that she was very frail, very, oh. um, very, uh, I think she was just very, um, Nervous, not nervous. I think she was just very, you know, going back to work and being surrounded. Yeah, you get self-conscious. I mean, you get, you know, and you're afraid of holding people up, and she's older. And right, and meanwhile, the the executive producers were all storming off the set, going, "We're going to have to recast her. We're going to have to bump these shows and everything." And so we had three scenes with her, um, and uh, all she's in. She's a patient on Nurse Jackie, so she was in bed, Mm -hmm. uh, in a hospital bed. So we ended up shooting, block shooting all of her three scenes. And I sat under the camera, and I held her hand and repeated her lines of dialogue to her, and she would repeat back what I said to her. And we all thought, oh fucking hell, well we've got it. You know, I mean we've got. The, the person we cast saying the lines and then this is where editors are just unbelievable you know and I, I went in to see the cut of the episode with the editor and I was expecting him to say um, you know this is a disaster you know I can't right right he loved it do. 
he didn't even mention it and we watched it and it was like oh yeah there's Marion Seldes doing a great scene you know she was absolutely wow. incredible and of course she won her eighth golden globe for it no she didn't but um but <laughs> that's the kind of that would be the one because maybe she was just replicating your delivery of the lines I, well, yes, it, true. You know what I mean? The cadence, the delivery, the pacing. She was That's just probably right. just replicating, I mean, channeling through. Yeah, she was a she was an Upper East Side um, Jew, but, but she came across as a as a, as quite a a young lady from Somerset, which I didn't understand. Johnny <laughs> <laughs> so, <Surely> Good. <laughs> Sorry, that's my only thing that I can really. Um, but no, she she was amazing, and then she wrote a, a, a very very lovely letter uh, to all the producers on the show, saying how marvelously we had treated her, and it was an absolute joy to be back in the saddle, as it were, you know, and all this kind of stuff. Even though she put us through hell, but she she was worth it because th that show, so that Edie Falco and and, like and everybody Edie. on that show, you know, they're all you know of the New York theater so yeah, of course, yeah they're all veterans like yeah so having someone like her was an enormous um wonderfulness for them all and and so you know um and that's why they cast her um so to be able to pull it off was 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 great you know we got I just that. wonder was Nurse Jackie shooting in New York yeah it was yeah because I, I feel like and maybe this is giving New York too much credit but I feel like if this was an LA show and she was a theater person they would have fired her on the spot they would have had some assistant go, can you escort Miss Seldes back to her trailer and, you know, and then drive well, her back know. to her hotel so we can get whatever the fuck, you know, Martindale, Mar go Martindale in there instead or whatever. Well, that's, that's what, what they I were feel. trying to do. They were trying <laughs> to do that. And we just sort of, you know, we persevered on set. You know, we were, we were the ones. Because you thought you'd block shoot it and then just recast it and reshoot it. And then you'd let her know in an no, email. No, 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 just block shoot it. So we just fo made the focus about her, got her dialogue. And okay. then we just shot everybody else for, you know, we just, I just had to, on the fly, just rethink how I was going to do yeah. everything and just get. Well, I got to say that. good for you that you treated her so beautifully and that made her feel good. But it goes back to, it goes back to, um, that whole thing I was just saying before, which is I just, I absolutely respect anybody who gets up and does a performance because I, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not gonna do stand up. I'm not gonna be an actor, but I will help people who are doing that give their best versions of themselves for whatever the script uh, is calling for and help tell the story in that way. And, and um, you know, and I think good actors, you know, when you work with really, really well-known actors, um, uh, you know, who, who've done a lot, particularly the English ones, you know, um, and, and they know, they know that, that, that I'm only as good as the feedback I'm getting from my producers and the director right. and the people around me, the writer, if they're there, you know, and so they hear that, you know, because they know that they're a cog in this whole wheel or this whole engine that is going to present. Now, they might be the biggest cog, but they are still just a cog and they need to do it in the way that was intended. You know, we have a, a plan here, you know, we have a vision for what the story is we're telling and they need to be part of that. They're bringing it to life. And yeah. so the ones that are, you know, the great actors are the people who understand that, you know, and will work with you. And yes, of course, they'll say, I'm not sure my character would do that, or I'm not sure. And, but, you know, there'll be a discussion about it, which will be about the story, the script, the layers, the, what we're trying to communicate, you know, and that's good because sometimes it is like being in a, you know, a courtroom and being a prosecutor, you've got to have a better argument than the yeah, people. Especially if someone's been playing with. the same character for eight years. I know you said sometimes you have to reinvigorate, but they can also probably be dismissive, right? If you're going on a set, and what's his name or what's her name has been doing this forever. And you're like the first time on this show, 
And they're like, really? You're giving me input about the character? Just go, you know, shut up and dribble, as, as the, the delightful Jared Kushner said. You know what I mean? It's like, do you get that too sometimes? Have you gotten that too? Uh, I think on shows where, you know, before, when I first got here, and nobody knows who the fuck you are, and, um, and, and but, you know, there's people go, well, I guess somebody thinks that they're worth hiring because they're here. Yeah. Uh, so you have that. But then... You know, you, you know, like if you're shooting on a Monday, um, you know, Mondays are difficult. Tuesdays might be a little better. You know, Wednesday, by sort of Wednesday, right. you know, you've got everybody on your side. I think, it, you know, it's, um, it's really, uh, you know, the, the thing about being a director in episodic television, particularly comedy, is comedy is such a subjective form you know it's not like the dramas where you're going to hit a, a large portion of the audience are going to be on board with whatever drama you're telling right. with comedy you've got you know it's it's subjective it's like you like heavy metal music and i like chamber music you really feel that way i feel like i mean i know that some people find people hysteric and other people don't like them at all but overall i feel like if something's funny it's undeniably funny yeah but it's still subjective it's still music if you like Goth yeah, okay, metal, fair and enough. I like chamber music. It's still, it's a style of comedy, you know. Yeah, style. I guess the style differs. Some people like slapstick. Other people like right. You know, my friend. Uh, I, I, I I abhor Jerry Lewis. I yeah. I don't like Jerry Lewis's style of comedy. Drove me right. fucking crazy. That's just yeah. me. Other people think he's a genius. He's well, also supposed uh, to be a raging asshole. Sorry. Apparently, that's what they say. Yeah. Or, uh, but anyway, look. I mean, the guy, the guy did what he did very well and entertained people for you know, yeah. and that was you know, in the fifties and you know, the sixties. That was that was fantastic. You know, it was terrific. And he was a very he was an innovator in um, many sure. senses. Like I heard a great quote from you. You know who Max Sennett is, right? Who was the 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 silent movie yes. studio that uh, did the Keystone Cops and all of that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. and, and talking about slapstick and 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 a broad comedy like that, you know, he said anybody can get a laugh falling down, but can you get a laugh getting back up? Right. And that's the mark of a, a great comedian, you know. And there is like I remember doing something on Brooklyn Nine Nine with Andy Samberg. And, you know, he has to fall through camera and, you know, there's some, some little right. bit that caused him to fall over. But boy, could he get a laugh getting up as well. It was he's just one of those uh, brilliant, uh, I think, physical. He's very clown like, you yeah. know, I feel like he's a, a, a sturdier, more Jewy version of Jim Carrey. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like he's yeah. got that. He's attractive, but can also play really goofy. You know, it's a particular yeah. kind. He's not your stereotypical, but he could play a leading man, so to speak. It's not like unheard of. But even Seth yeah. Rogen plays leading man. Woman, that did, doesn't happen as much. But you know what I mean? You could have the doughy, the doughy oversized nebbish, and they seem to be leading men. But, um, <laughs> but uh, he has got that physical. It's, it's so interesting because years ago, I took a clown class. And I'm not talking about like... um like a Cirque du Soleil. I'm talking about like Roberto Benigni style, like what you're talking mm. about, right? Like the physical comedy. And it was the hardest thing I've ever taken. And one of the exercises was um, you're supposed to pretend to do a very simple magic trick, even if it's like, let me bend my thumb. And then right. you have to keep failing. And you have to keep failing. And, and, the, and you, know, you can immediately gauge if the audience is laughing. It was the hardest thing ever because people end up acting. You know what I mean? It, and it doesn't feel natural. And if, if you're really skilled at it, even if you're trying to do this trick and you get more frustrated, people crack up. But it's such a, a, such a hard skill. 
I don't think it's yeah. a learning skill. I think you either have it or you don't. You do, I think you clown do. school's I mean, a ripoff. It remain <laughs> Did you get your money back? <laughs> no, I didn't. It was a very overpriced, very pretentious New York school. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Well, did it have any uh, any connection to the, the the school in Italy or anything like that? No. Uh, no, no, no. But um, I mean, again, some, I, I some clowns who thought they could teach clowning. Yeah. No, this guy was a great teacher, but I think I was frustrated because I wasn't good at it. I had to name my clown. I named my clown Peanut. Uh, I had to have a special walk, you know, that's a little off kilter. But that magic trick one, there was another one that you had to do where you had to be born. You're like, you're born and everything you see is new and you're super excited to see it. You know, like you see many clowns do. It's so fucking hard. I'm like, I'm looking at the wall. I'm looking at some well, hot actor thinking of stupid afterwards. I'm not, you know, not like a but, baby. But it's, it's very, you know, it's an interesting exercise, even if you're not very good at it. You know, I think it's a really interesting exercise to do because here's the thing is that, you know, all we have, you know, all we have in television and film and theater is, um, is all, all we have is that what the actors are saying and what the actors are doing. That's it. That's yeah. the two things that you have to tell the story. So you can, you know, so I think being able to communicate with your face about the wonderment of being born for the first time and taking everything in, you've got to communicate everything with your face. And that's so interesting. I think that's a big part of um, acting. Sometimes it's not what you're saying, but how you're reacting to something that's been said that communicates and all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, interestingly, I know there are some, this is not from personal experience. I have to know. I hasten Please to clarify mm -hmm. that the, um, the, the, there's some marriage guidance counselors often have the two people who are in therapy sitting back to back so they can't see each other because then you're just hearing the words you're not here you're not seeing all of the other communication that you're doing with your face you know right. and so that's that's such a huge part of acting I think and um and you know so to be able to try and do that physical comedy in the sort of extreme forms like you've just described you know I think is a very very good exercise because you have to be able to communicate so much with your face with your looks and often like you like you know working with Patrick Stewart you know he'll say he's so great. um you know he's so great and he'll just say you know he'll be the first to say look I think this line is oh you know so many actors are like give me lines give me lines give me right, lines." Right. But he'll be the first to say I don't need this line I can do it with a look I you love know, it. And, but you, you know, know what? I think to your point, I think the real underlying thing is not only the skill to be malleable in your face, it's authenticity and truthfulness. Because again, right. when the clown work didn't work is when I was making faces like I'm so frustrated. Now you have that kind of comedy too. I mean, you have the wide eyed, you know, especially sure. people like Sandberg know how to manipulate or Will Ferrell. I just look at his face and I crack up. He knows <laughs> what's funny about his yeah. play or Amy, not Amy Poehler, uh, Rachel Dratch. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just those fake, mm, mm, you know, that's not yeah. really coming from a deep place, but the physical comedy and the frustration when it's authentic, then it works. You know what I mean? When you believe it, when you believe that this person is frustrated, that their magic 100%. trick is Like, because yeah. you were doing what you, going back to your little, you know, the idea of the thumb lighter business, you know, yeah. you were, yeah, you were, you were, you know, the narrative that you were telling yourself in the, in your head, you know, was probably, you know, you were thinking, well, I've got to really get this across to the audience. So the natural, the natural inclination is to then make lots of faces to yeah, try and communicate. Yeah. Yes, I was trying not to use that word. Thank you. But you, you, you <laughs> wonderfully professional brought term it. 
taught by the Royal Shakespeare Company. <laughs> That's right. Well, you know, that was that was something that I was very nervous about working with Patrick Stewart because he he went into the Royal Shakespeare yeah. Company. Uh, he, he yeah in the the year i was born and I'm like oh wow what he's gonna take notes from me my dear boy but those good guys they know how to take notes right i had a friend who 100%. directed meryl streep and he was a young director and she listened i mean they they really kind of respect that i think their ego it's about the work but can i tell you something funny you should look it up patrick stewart has a video on youtube rehearsals with the rsc when he was still a student maybe it was at the royal academy and you can hear the teacher like, Patrick, don't do your usual Patrick shtick. You know, I don't know if she used the word <laughs> shtick or shtick. You know, he's getting notes, you know, and they do it again and they do it again. Oh, and you're my like, God. Okay. I wish when we'd, I wish I'd known that when we were doing Blunt Talk. I said, Patrick, don't do your usual Patrick don't shtick. Do your shtick. I, mean, I don't know if it was that direct. I'll try and find the clip and give it to you. But I remember him getting notes. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, being sure. directed. Like, but also, again, you don't believe it. Right. But, you know, that's the thing you are, you know, there, there's a reason I think that they call it a company of actors, you know, you are a company, you know, and you there's hierarchical levels within that company, you might just be spear thrower number three, you know, this week, yeah. but you know, you're aspiring to be the lead, you know, and so you're learning your craft all the way up the same way that now we have in writers rooms, you know, you have the sort of the writing EPs, showrunners who are the top of the tree, but you also then have the staff writers who are very new and are, their job is to learn and contribute as best they can and right. learn and, and go through. So we have that, you know, inbuilt in our writing uh, uh, staff in comedy and that's great. Um, How do you but, feel about those comedy? Cause I feel like in the UK, I don't think they have writers rooms. They probably can't afford it. And some of the most brilliant comedies, do hail from from across the pond as they say even though it's a big ass pond since we're in california but um what do you feel about these ride rooms don't i mean I, I just the process to me sounds so ridiculous that you have a bunch of six seven eight nine riders vying for jokes it just seems like too many cooks in the kitchen and doesn't seem as efficient i mean and they're trying to plug a new show in every week i don't know what do you think i mean obviously you're in that world so but what do you think about that well i think uh, you know i've talked to showrunners you know and they you know talking about particular contributions that that writers make like you know so, you know writer x is fantastic at structure story structure you know so we lean on that person to okay. um you know to 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 un un uh, knot the the knots we've tied ourselves up into in terms of story structure and then there are people who are really great gag pitchers you know they they're just fantastic you just you know we oh we need a joke here you know uh, and you turn to that person and they've got, you know, some zingers. Okay, so each person stuff. has, because otherwise it just feel. and then writers well, always not, laugh at each other's jokes or their own jokes. Well, I think that's, I think, you know, that's, I think that's where it's really, uh, you know, up to the showrunners to, you know, keep, what's why it's never, interestingly, on Community, the season that Dan Harmon uh, did not do, as he famously calls it, the gaslight uh, season. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> We're all just trying to keep your show alive, you know. But Don't anyway, be ungrateful, Dan. Um, yeah, but anyway, listen. He um, uh, so uh, the, the the two guys that took over had an idea that they wanted to uh, let the writer of each of the particular episodes have their own editorial pass, which generally doesn't happen. And um, and I tell you why it doesn't happen is because you always need to have somebody that's got objectivity from outside the sort of the bubble that you're working in. Because what, of course, happened was all the writers did were put all their jokes back in. 
you know, right. and we'd cut them for, <clears throat> we'd cut them for story, you know, and you, you're trying to get, you know, there's the big trend at the moment for everybody to overwrite and to basically say, um, right. we need to see it on the screen and then we'll make a decision about whether it's in or out. And which I hate because it's not just a question. It sounds so easy. No, but, but it's when rhythm and, and it affects the well, whole episode. But it's also, it's also, everything's going to be professionally produced with all of that, that, that suggests yeah. because yeah. we're not just going to, half-heartedly do that particular joke because it's on the cusp of being in or out what if it's in you know so right, right. Um, but what i would love writers these days to do is to have confidence in their in their ability to cut stuff before we shoot it because you know i've worked on shows where you, you you've shot you know a third more material or even more a quarter more material than you need and it, and it all goes on the floor and increasingly these days you know with the hours being reduced you know you essentially have 60 hours to make you know um you've got you know five 11 you know five um 12 hour days and that's 60 hours so you you've got 60 hours to make a show and you know that time doesn't change it doesn't expand it doesn't contract you know you wait, wait, do the math hours. for me five days 12 hours each that's 60 sorry yeah i'm with you god okay I was, no i was great. thinking about 12 hours a day. it doesn't matter what i was thinking because i've never been a mathematician nor have but, i um yeah, I guess it's the antithesis of what happens in film where the line producer's like, you need to cut 10 pages off this script or this movie's not getting made. I guess in TV where the money's ample, you can self-indulge like that. Yes, but the time isn't ample. Yeah, you know, that's true. And, and time equals money. There's no way. You're not getting an extra day to shoot this, you know, right. unless, unless it's, oh, uh, Raylin, are you about to have another one? I just no, why did it look like, oh my. I saw two knees going up into the shot and it looked like you were about to give birth. <laughs> Gosh, no, I'm I told really, you, I do C-section. I can literally it. read the paper, do the crossword, and pop a baby out. I don't need to spread right, my legs. Right, exactly. But can you please, please call it Christopher? It'll go down well in the south. It's like, um, it's just a very, it, look at the chair. It's very artistic. I know. It implies, and I have this phallic thing here. It implies a lot of, like, Pornhub Central, but it's not. Well... I think well, there's certainly some places in Holland. I think I can get you some more fans. Uh, but anyway, if you turned the chair around, uh, you'd be like Christine Keeler, that famous Christine Keeler photograph. Oh, you know, that's Christine true. Keeler. But her knees weren't. She was straddling it, wasn't she? She was straddling it, and she was. Uh, she had no clothes on. She had no clothes, and she was a little more attractive than I. Not a lot, though. Not just like a hair, like an iota. <laughs> iota more attractive. I just started but, looking. I'm, you know, I, this is a weird non sequitur. Um, I know Brad Pitt has a new girlfriend because I read the TMZ at like midnight. Some German model's in an open marriage. Her husband's some big owner of a big restaurant in Berlin. He's like 60. Um, and she's got the same lips as, as Angie Jolita, you know, the, the super plumpy right. lips. But yeah. hers have to be fake. They just do. I mean, Angie Jolie, I looked at videos of her when she was like 15. She still had those plump pillow lips. But this woman, Nicole, she has a Polish last name, Pitataski, Poralski. Literally, her lip touches her her lower nose, and it upset me. And I thought Brad was more more of a man in depth. Now, at what point do you think Brad Pitt discovered that that she's in an open marriage, that there's a husband, that there's? I think a the same day he went, he met her at her husband's restaurant. Oh, really? Yeah. Look, I I don't know Brad, but I can get in his mind fairly easily. I feel like, you know, he's been very open and modest. He's no, you know, he's no spring chicken. He's what in his late fifties, um, yeah. you know, still hot hot potato but um but he jokes about being on tinder i think he was lonely for a while i mean you'd think that these guys can get anybody they want but how do you really date anybody who's not famous without having an agenda i don't think it's pot i don't think he's going to be like matt damon who ended up marrying like a waitress from boston 
You know what I mean? I feel like at this part, at this point, you got to either be marrying Amal Clooney, who's you know an acclaimed human rights attorney, or a model, or or another. I don't know where I'm going with this. I no, you're right though. Lips. I mean, I'm not saying anything profound, but I I thought I'd reach out to Brad. I couldn't get his approach. I tried Brad Pitt at Gmail because I always feel like I want to go with the the obvious first you know it's surprising the number of people that do it the number of famous people that yeah. do have their name uh, like, you know, yeah brad pitt one you know maybe even brad pitt nine whatever i think i, I got to brad pitt 62 and i said you know yeah. what they keep bouncing back or not getting responses mm. so i'm just gonna stop yeah so and and that's the other thing i want to stop in this industry is in every single uh production office you know because you know they're called the, the things that bind the scripts together are called brad's Oh, are they? I didn't know that. Yeah. So the gold, there's what, always the gold clasps. The gold clasps are called brads, and always by the photocopier, there's gonna there's gonna be a big plastic <laughs> tub full of them, and on the front it just says the Brad Pitt box or whatever. You oh, know, it's geez. like come on. This is such an industry insider thing. You know it's what I mean? Just, People are like, you yeah. know what, Tristram, get over it, man. You're working. No, I don't. I take it and I fucking throw them at the runners and uh, and cover them in brads. How do you like it now? You like to be smothered by Brad? You can go. Disclaimer that I don't do that. That was just simply, um, I was just simply saying that, doing a little character bit. Uh, um, looking at your uh, IMDb page, I upgraded to an IMD Pro, IMDb Pro, just for shits and giggles. Hold on, I want to make sure that this mm -hmm. is Your resume really is astounding. So one thing that I, I, I watched Never Have I Ever, that's Mindy Kaling's show with the Indian, Indian cast. Uh, yes. which I thought was fantastic. Did you get any flack for being like a, you know, middle-aged white dude directing a show about Indians? Because I don't, again, I'm on the fence with that. I kind of, I just had this discussion with an actor yesterday where mm. I was like, on the one hand, actors should be able to play anything. Directors can tell any story, you know. But on the other hand, I'm like, when I saw Ruth Nega in Loving, I'm like, or that Australian actor, you know, talking about a couple in the South being the first interracial couple, I'm like, could you not have fucking casted actors from the South? You know what I mean? To lend it an extra level of authenticity. And then I was like, well, they are actors. So I'm always on the fence. So I want to kind of hear your thoughts on that. Well, yeah, I mean, with Never Have I Ever, I mean, I, listen, I mean, look, there is a big movement in Hollywood at the moment and around the world, and rightly so, that, um, you know, people of color and, and more female directors, and that's absolutely right, you know. Um, and I think that um, Mindy is uh, obviously as a person of color herself, um, you know, we had just worked together on Four Weddings, which was my first Four Weddings and a Funeral, the remake for Hulu. Oh, okay. and I was the producer director in London um, for the for all 10 episodes. And so, you know, so Mindy and I, um, you know, we, we got on very well with that. She liked my sensibility. And, okay. you know, this time, you know, uh, my reputation had preceded it. You know, a lot of people like Tracy Wigfield was the other um showrunner on that show and she she and i know each other very well from um um you know from kimmy schmidt and great news and um so many great um, shows that you worked on it's unfucking believable well and then and then yeah but so then mindy hired me and um and that was great so waffling on so we'd done all of this stuff and so she she and i think she said publicly she just you know look on paper i have no business in this current climate being a, an ancient white-haired, white male directing a story about a 17-year-old Indian girl who's lost her father and is navigating her way through right. her final year of high school in California. Everything I've just mentioned, 
I have no experience of in my real life, right? But what I do understand is I understand emotions and I understand character and I understand what we're trying to say with Yeah, the, and you understand comedy. And that was it. So Mindy wanted somebody and also we just had our fingers badly burnt on um uh on four weddings uh by a couple of things that didn't go particularly well not by by me but other other choices never by you never by you uh uh yes never by me um but uh but so she was keen to do this semi autobiographical loosely autobiographical right. story uh and have it come out the other side with all of the um layers and all of the um point of telling this particular story right now intact and i think we did that really well you know and um and so i did the first two i did the last two i was supposed to be the uh, producer director on the whole show uh but uh budgetary requirements meant that that job sort of disappeared in a puff of thin uh, air. Uh, so so I did the first two so I, I you know was responsible for the look you know I did something um, which is rare on, te on on television you know we we tried to get a color palette together and work with costume set decoration production design cinematography we made our own LUT for the show which is I think rare in television as well which is the sort of the color um, the, the, the sort of the, it's a called a lookup table it's what you put on the um I see I'm now running out of technical knowledge but it's basically oh, it, what you put on the picture to make give it you know vibrance and color and all of oh, that. Oh okay so, so it's kind of like a filter of some sort? It, it kind of is so when you shoot I mean boringly when you shoot um uh you know um with these high dynamic range cameras you know the if you looked at what the camera is outputting it's just like a milky gray kind of and thing. And then you can futz with it after. Yes exactly right. so we made okay. our own you know we made our own LUT that we shot with and uh and that was really successful and it actually had had the wonderful uh, byproduct of I didn't this wasn't a, a thing going in but you know uh, that the, the actors with their you know with the color of their skin you know right. this really accentuated it and really it was it was really lovely everybody that loved is nice sorry I'm trying to adjust myself and it's like this chair well I know so you're in the middle of having a baby I think this is marvelous come on out push it out push it out <laughs> oh, um, sorry but about the yeah but I, I didn't get any flack um as far as i can oh, tell good. okay i think okay. that i think that there's some of the older uh so, okay older more senior actors on the show um didn't particularly like the fact that i was like this was an opportunity to have right directors of color and um and female and, and every other I director. Mean, personally what? again i'm on the fence i feel like a person of color can direct anything anybody can direct anything if you do your homework and you do your research. Uh, is it, do you get a different level of authenticity if someone can personally relate? Sure, but that can be said about actors too, right? I mean, would it help if someone who actually murdered someone played a murderer? Probably, but can Bobby De Niro do it? Yes. So, you know, it's tricky. I think it's in terms of getting disenfranchised people like someone, like a trans role, there aren't a lot of trans roles, so get a trans actor in there. You know what I mean? Or someone who's mentally disabled. Uh, but like on Blunt Talk, we had the wonderful Trace Lizette, you know, who is, exactly. um, you know, yeah. who, who is a trans actor, wonderful trans and, you know, did great work in Transparent and, you know, but that would, that was, a, that's the case in point. We had to, we couldn't not cast a trans person. Well, it's, in it's interesting. Role. I just watched a show. I don't know if you directed one of these episodes. It's a Netflix show called In the Dark, I think. Um, 
And this actress is very sweet and charming, but she plays a blind character and she's not blind, right? And I'm like, for the love of Christ, there are not a lot of roles out there for blind actors. With all due respect, there's not a lot going on. You don't have a blind actor in an action film, definitely not in a drama. It's very rare. And so it's like, could you not have found a woman who's actually blind to play this role? I mean, that's what, the roles that I guess are not a lot out there, at least search for. You know what I mean? That's that's all I have to say on that. Yeah, I know it's a really, you know, it's a re look. What's happening is it's making everybody look at this, and that's that's really really good um, to to do this. And I do think that, you know, like I like what you said. If you have a personal perspective on something, you know, then absolutely, because you may have you may be much much more tied to the story um, in your own personal experiences that you're telling than than say someone like me is. But, you know, look, we're telling stories. That's what we're telling. And we're telling stories about huge things. Did Ron Howard need to, you know, go into space to tell the story of Apollo that's 13? That's exactly right. You're tapping you know, into the universal, right? There's something also that's universally. But it's also, you know, I think that there's less tolerance with writers. Maybe this was different. Back in the day, you could have a writer do research about somebody and write a piece of fiction about, you're not going to have a white writer writing the story of a young black boy growing up in Mississippi. And if you do, they're going to get a lot of shit for it, even if they do all the research in the world, I'm, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. But I don't think back in the day novelists had that, you know what I mean? So I feel with writers finding the voice that people are, are more uh, stringent upon sure. that person when, like, having. When Truman Capote made his famous uh, book, which I forget the title of at this moment. That one, that, that one, that one. The, the, the really famous book, you know, that he, guy. Mm -hmm. the interview, yeah. you know he, he did so much research about it that he sort of enveloped himself into a world that he didn't know. And so then that came out in the, the book. And I feel like like, for example, in a really crass sort of way, if we were doing something like, look, look at the movie Master and Commander with Russell Crowe, uh, that Peter, the lovely Australian director, Peter, um, his... Uh, Not Jackson. No, no. Um, Weir? Anyway, Peter Weir? Peter Weir? Peter Weir, Peter Weir. There you go. Thank look you. at me. Look at me with yeah, my cinematic you. knowledge. God um, damn it. That, that, that movie didn't even play in the South. That's really brilliant, Raylan. Um, <laughs> so, so um, no, but that, you know, like... The attention to detail. My my cousin uh, is uh, is is a bit of a historical nut okay. uh, from that genre, and he he just said it was one of the most you know just everything. The attention to detail, the accuracy of what they were portraying was right. just so great. So of course they have advisors, you know, from the mili that military era, you know, to do it, you know, and you know you you um, and you lean on them and like look look I mean. The, 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 the landscape is changing. We now have to have, um, and I think it's a good thing, uh, we have to have these sort of, um, uh, what are they called, these... Um, um, Quotas? No, sort of like, you know, when you're doing a love scene, you have to have these coordinators. Oh, the intimacy, intimacy, the intimacy advisors or intimacy. Thank you. I, there's no, my wife would tell you that there's no surprise. I couldn't remember the word intimacy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> so... Um, uh, you know, but I think that's good. You know, it, it takes, you know, it's really, really good to have a third person who is basically being able to privately say away from the production, are you comfortable with this? You know, uh, and, and to eliminate the fear that actors would have of actually speaking up and taking care of themselves from people who are trying to push them in a direction that is, uh, that is horrible. And then you also get the respect on set. You know, I've been in a position where you know, it was terrible. We were doing a show back in England years ago and, and um, well, it's Peep Show. And um, uh, one of the characters has to have sex with a really beautiful girl. And so the camera is looking down 
looking so the car the camera is being the pov of the guy that right. she's straddling right so she's yeah. on top camera's there so the cameraman is doing that so you know poor actress has to straddle the cameraman to yeah, get and they're usually top. again slime slime dogs yeah and well this guy's very this guy's a very nice young man okay, okay. but um anyway one of the, the gaffer walked in to adjust a light and said something really inappropriate oh, to the geez. both of them right none of us heard it they didn't that we only it only came to light at the rap party and we were all like why the fuck didn't you tell us you know oh, i didn't want to make a fuss i didn't want to that's you know, always the case right we don't want to make a fuss yeah. right i know and it's like no that was awful going back to your earlier conversation you know your earlier thing that guy would have been out on his ear you know yeah, because there's no way and this is a yeah, long right. time 15 16 years ago but you know she had to suffer through um you know having to see that person at work every day who made those lewd comments and and stuff and it's just you know That's she's a pro time. and she's great and she's wonderful but you know nobody should have to go to work with a little knot in their stomach feeling that they're gonna not. interact with someone who's uh said inappropriate things to them so what you know yuts. no it really is and i think that it's very that you know the one thing that you have to you know the landscape on in the industry has changed and you know i think for years nobody you know nobody really realized that what we do you know it's a workplace environment you know and i think that's being hammered home to everybody now that it's a workplace environment like you wouldn't go to my favorite uh, other job the insurance loss adjusters these office. poor guys these poor and, insurance you know, we are just slamming i know them, we're like, gonna rail on them uh, yeah. but they they um you, you know you're not gonna get away with like you know uh, if you put the same kind of lewd stories that say you know and you know that's locker room certain talk crew, locker room talk that certain members of the crew might indulge in and da 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 yeah you can't do that anymore even if you think you're having a private conversation with somebody somebody may overhear it and you know and that's not appropriate so uh you know there's a whole retraining and i think that's really good because um, i think so too it's such a hairy thing though because at the end of the day the uh, the intimacy physical contact and and bodies are treated as part of the the product uh, you know what I mean? Removed from how we usually treat them. And I always think about this with all these, all this infidelity that goes on. It makes sense to me because people cross boundaries. Actors cross boundaries that normal people don't cross. The fact right. that you're, you can show up on set and have to kiss a stranger or have to have them grab your breast or poon or whatever, that's not normal. It's not normal. And I don't care if you're married or and you're a loyal partner. So that does something to you. And if you're going to be believable, you got to get into it. I mean, I don't, I mean, really, if you really are going to be believable, you have to find your attraction, tap into your attraction to that person. And how do you really tap into it? And that's why I think those scenes that are the most steamy are the ones that are real and end up, there end up being revelations later that these people were involved sure. or stooping on set. Well, you've got, you have to hundred percent give yourself to a role and that's, that, that and is. What do you do? You know, it's an, it, I talk to actors, I go, how do you go home? You know what I mean? The ones that don't cheat, which is a minority. And you know, one actor said to me, who's worked on set on location, the location's the killer. Cause on location, you're not going home to your husband or wife in your house, you're going into a hotel where the other actress is also staying or actors staying. And one friend said to me, you know, I just don't hang out with the cast after because I know it's bad news. I don't go out and have drinks and you know what I mean? He, he puts a very distinct boundary because he knows he won't be able to contain himself. I'm like, okay, 
that's acknowledging reality. You know what I mean? It's temptation. You got a lot of attractive people in Hollywood. These are all really attractive people having fake intercourse with one another. You know what I mean? This is not a, I don't know. Maybe in comedy, you see a little less of that. I don't know. Well, I don't know. You still have to, like, you, you still have to go and kiss somebody. You yeah, know, there has yeah. to be, you know, a first kiss or a, you know, a, a kissing thing. And, and that's really, um, yeah, I don't know how people do that. That's really. But there's difficult. humor around it. You know, I remember that, what was that movie that I used to, um, again, flick my bean. I'm sorry, I keep going back to it, but it was such a hot movie. It was Lisa Bonet. Who was the guy? It wasn't Mickey Rourke before his face changed. It was a movie set in the South in the summer. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know. Oh, I mean, it was I'm thinking, hot. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up right now. I'm thinking like Wild Heart with Nicolas Cage and Laura Dern. You know, oh, and then, was that hot? Was that that was very hot. Any, and, um, any festive uh, Lily Tomlin or Jane Fonda anecdotes since I see you worked on, on Grace and Frankie? Uh, yeah, no, no, but, but very boringly, oh, um, okay. you know, I mean, I don't know whether, I mean, Angel there was Heart, a, Angel Heart. Oh, Angel Heart. Isn't there some sort of steamy something or other in there? I think so. I'd have to look it up. She I had the like heart of an angel. Oh. Um, but anyway, no, no, I mean, there isn't any, I mean, there was a, I don't know. I mean, that whether I should say this or not, but, I, um, it, there was a quite a scary moment for me because you know it's Jane Fonda, it's Lily Tomlin, right. Tomlin, you know it's it's Sam Waterston, it's you know Martin Sheen, you know it's uh, he, it, that was the yeah. biggest disappointment was that I only got half a day to work with Martin Sheen. His his his, his uh, that particular episode I did, um, uh, his his involvement was very minor in that story. Oh, was it? it was okay. Day, yeah, so that was that was boring. But he would talk about a gentleman. He loved it. Uh, I mean, he, I loved him. He was just so wonderful. As were Jane and uh, Lily, you know, but um, no, Jane took me aside on like the first or morning of the second day. And um, this is like season one, episode, you know, five or six. So they hadn't done very many. And um, so she's still very unsure about, you know, what this is and doing comedy and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. Oh, wow. So she took me aside. Can I have a word with you? And I was like, fucking hell, geez. Um, God, I've got to get my things in together. Um, and uh, she sat me down in a part of the set that wasn't being used and um, just said, okay, Tristram, you've worked with, um, you know, Tina Fey and a lot of great comics, you know, Amy Poehler and, you know, everybody, everybody. And I just worked with Tina Fey on that, um, <clears throat> on, on the uh, movie she just did with Tina Fey and uh, a bunch of other people. Um, and she said, so how are you going to make me funny? <laughs> no pressure there, as if that's your job. <laughs> no. So this is Jane Fonda from the Fonda acting dynasty oh my uh, asking me how I'm going to make her funny. And, I, you know, so what do you say? You know, and so I just said. Well, she's kind of the straight person there anyway. Right. <laughs> and. You know, and I think she was feeling like, obviously, for Lily Tomlin, yeah. it's a natural thing. And, you know, she's a brilliant, she's brilliant. She's so brilliant. Comedian. Her line deliveries she, are just, and I saw her live. Amazing. I saw her do that one woman show of hers, the universe, whatever it's called. Yeah, but she's, she's terrific. All those movies that she did with Steve Martin, you know, yeah. I mean, just yeah. incredible. Funny, funny, funny all the way. And I think for Jane Fonda, 
That's and they're great friends, you know, they're, they're, they're great friends. Um, and they've worked together a billion times, you know, so, but, but even on, in that scenario, you think, well, I'm just going to be acted off the stage here by Lily. You know, she's going to have all the funny. I'm just going to end up being like a, like you just said, like a really boring straight man right. just delivering. And I don't think she wanted to, and this is just me speculating sure, wildly, sure. but what do you say? So I just said, Jane, can, um, would you mind terribly if I was honest? And she went, of course, please. <laughs> That's why I'm asking. And she said, so I just said, well, um, from everything I've seen so far, I think that you're really trying too hard. <laughs> I just thought, fucking hell, I'm going to oh, get geez. punched in the face or I'm going to be asked to it's escort the dog. My, my feet won't even be allowed to touch the ground as the security <laughs> guards are leaving me out of the thing. And, and I said, look, and I just said, Jane, you're, you're um, you know, I mean, you're one of the greatest actors of your generation, you know, and so do that have trust that the comedy will come from the situation, have trust in the scenarios that the writers are putting you into. And if we can find little embellishments to, you know, to, to, to litter, punch to punch it up or just litter around every scene, let's do it. Some will work, some won't, you know, and that's the whole thing. But, you know, it's experimentation. And um, anyway, so that was that. And then, you know, the next day she, she said in passing, um, she didn't sort of linger on it, but she said that just that was a great note. Thank you. And uh, anyway, the the unbelievable um, thing of, of that is I was never asked back to that show, and I, I still to this don't know why. Don't know why was it was it because of that? Was it because they like yeah okay we like him, but um, you know he was an opinionated. <laughs> he did give Jane Fonda some feedback. Yeah. Told her she's trying yeah, exactly. too hard, and yeah. she's like eighty three. <laughs> And you could say, so, Fonda, your your face is trying too hard. Maybe you <laughs> stretched it so much. Yeah. I don't know what else went down in the conference. That's funny. Actors always try and pretend that they're very open, but behind the scenes, she's like, I never want that fuck nut back. Right? She's yeah, like, maybe. thank you it, so it, much. It, you were very helpful with your feedback. Yeah, it was humbling. It she's like, no, 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 no. I mean, you know, in a sense, you know, it's like an impossible situation to be in. You know, Of course, because uh, she's asking you for feedback. It's like a trick question. You're right. doing great. You're perfect. Yeah. You probably should have left out the trying too hard part. Just those couple of words. <laughs> you should have just said. Ray Lynn, why you weren't you there? You know what the other thing is? You said greatest actor of your generation. So oh, now suddenly you make yeah. her feel like she's. You know, uh, you know what? I'm glad break. we had the chat because now I see where I basically was my own downfall um, <laughs> and shot myself in the foot massively. But look, it was a great thrill to work with her and to work with Lily Tomlin and everything and even Sam Waterstone and stuff. And it was uh, that particular episode is really difficult. And um it's like the one time in my career that, you know, writers have observed the, um, you know, the, the directors working with the actors don't get involved kind of rule. Ooh, I and, like that. Uh, yeah. and, and it was like, no, no, please get involved. I've been here for, you know, I did four days of prep and this is day two of shooting. You guys have written this script for, you know, you actually, this is where it needs to be collaborative because right. I, I only have so much I can offer with the information that I have and that I know. And the fact that I don't have uh, all of the depth and the layers of where the scene is going means that the writing is not delivering that. So mm. come and help. I hope and, you told um, them that too. And then Tristram's no, not coming back for another no, episode. No, You're trying no. too hard, writers. Just trying too hard. It's, it's really odd. I don't know. Look, I mean, you know, it's very funny coming from the UK where you know um every, you know there's only one 
director on like and the, the half series. hour comedies for the yeah. whole series. Yeah. So you, you are, you know, you're all, always a producer. You're always the pilot director, the producer director and the director of each individual episode. So, you know, you're working very closely with the, with the one person that's written it or the double act, like, you know, Peep Show, right. Sam and Bain and Jesse Armstrong, you know, they wrote that together. And um, so you're working with those guys and you're yeah. working with a great producer as well, you know, who's taken the the idea and got it made, you know, so right. there's a lot going on there. So it, it does prepare you very well for um, the American system, but the American system is very challenging in terms of like, I, I, I don't really want to do a lot of episodic anymore because I, I want to be in, but like, I want to be involved uh, like I used to be in England, I, I you know, I don't get a great deal out of just going and turning up for a week and shooting an episode of a show, you know, unless no, I it... think you want, it's like a one night stand. It feels good in the moment, but where's the longevity or the emotional investment in it? I mean, I think that to your point with the show, the, the writers and the different directors, I see the, the cohesiveness, the advantage of cohesiveness with a, the single director, let's say for the entire run. Um, and then again, a lot of the shows I know sometimes have only one or two writers the entire series. But then I watched Yellowstone, which is Taylor yeah. Sheridan, who I liked in Hell or High. Yeah. I liked his work in Hell or High Water, and he, I guess, wrote and directed, or at least wrote, I don't know, all the episodes of the first season, and it felt kind of repetitive. And I felt like he needed more input from other writers and different perspective to layer the characters. Now you can still do that as one person but I felt like he got comfortable and maybe he didn't have enough oversight to step outside for a minute because again, but also I don't think he had a good producer or good notes coming. Yeah, Maybe back that's it. But I think the, you know, feature film. Yeah. Fine. You know, the story itself and the arc, uh, you have that character arcs and you have like where they're going, but with, with TV, I guess in general, the arcs aren't as clear because the, the characters don't really change as much. It's the situations that change, right? Almost like in sitcoms, right? The characters stay the same. They're just dealing with, and maybe they grow over time, but it's not in a film. You really got to pack it in there. You know, no, and that never change. happens. That never happens in like the kind of, you know, network comedy. That's not why we- Well, yeah, comedies are like, there she like, is again, doing her stupid shit again. Yeah, there's no way we want Larry David to change. because yeah, then, yeah, it, then it'd be like, you know, who's tuning into him being a well-adjusted, <laughs> non-neurotic exactly. human being? Like, exactly, like, that's the yeah. whole shtick. So, yeah. you know, that I get that. And obviously in a film, people have to learn and grow and evolve over time and right, learn to be something or do yeah. or, or, you know, or solve something or whatever it is. But I do think that <clears throat> over here, I do think, <clears throat> you know, you work sometimes on a first season show of let's say like 13 episodes and there are 12 other directors on That's the too much. show. That's too much. And I, and I often question that and say, well, you know, I don't, you know, we've done in England, we've done that where, you know, you um, have two directors and they're doing alternate weeks or whatever. And right. that's great. Or so one director's doing first four, the other director's doing the second. So you can break it into two blocks because that's the other thing we don't do <clears throat> in England. We don't do that. We shoot it much more like a film because we, um, you know, we don't have the money. Well, I, I, it's not necessarily that it's, it's just that, yes. I mean, I suppose it is that, but um, we still get the same number of days, like, you know, six episodes over five days, you know, which is what it would be here. Right. But you don't, you don't do this weekly, you know, this is, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you just yeah. don't yeah. do that. You basically have all six episodes written, let's say it's a season of six, and then you go out and you shoot the six episodes with one director. So you're cross-boarding six episodes and, um, you know, and there's a, there's always 
um, a good period of rehearsal built into those shows. Yeah, because um, you're theatre people. Well, they honestly, need their it, rehearsal. It's true, but also, <clears throat> excuse me, you also. Get some water. I feel like you're getting a little. Because I'm, I'm holding my camera and my microphone precariously, and they may fall down. There you go. Get your well, look at your. What's the What's the bottle say? Where's the bottle from? Turn it so we can sponsor. What does it say? It's, it says I, I can't. The the green screen's messing everything up. INS grip. grip. Okay. There you go. I don't know. That was slapped onto uh, my water bottle by uh, 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 a grip. Unity seizing grip. Yes. Um, uh, of course, he's never worked in the business again. Yeah. Uh, because of that. But no. Um, wonderful, wonderful, uh, wonderful guy. Um, I want to ask no, you. What I, I was going to. Um, oh, sorry. Go yeah, ahead. Finish go your ahead. point. No, I was going to say that um, I think that uh, uh, over here, you know, I think it must be tough for if you t think about it from the actor point of view and the crew point of view. There's no flow. Two to five days yeah. with this person, yeah. and then Monday morning, it's a whole new different person. Now, um, that's great if you, you know, on the circuit, and there's a, obviously there's a bunch of directors that do, you know, a lot of the show, and so right. you know them, blah blah blah. Right. But, you know, all the crew have their favorite people. The actors have their favorites, you know, and, you know. I guess it only works things. well if one of the actors can't stand a director. And well, they know it's like presidency. It's only going to be for well, Trump. It might be 66 years. But, you know, you know that at least like, like, and you said sometimes you bring in a fresh perspective. But I feel like there should be a happy medium. I feel like every episode is just bad show running. I feel like you yeah, want to get maybe to, two directors, maybe three, maybe. Yeah, but look, I wouldn't have done all that work on Community if the Russo brothers hadn't, you know, given me, That's you know, true. I was like the third episode of television I did in this country. Oh, wow. Uh, was Community, and it was because Joe and Anthony had done a, a David Cross sitcom, The Extraordinary things of day whatever it was David cross yeah and i can't remember um but they had done that and that pilot was shot in england and so they were basically oh, okay. they were, with a lot of people that i know over there like sharon horgan and you know people like yeah. that yeah and so she so when they were saying oh yeah like who are the people that are doing comedy over here you know what are, and then you know, they're like tristram shapiro my, you know my name came up a couple of times and so when nbc um, you know, sent a list of potential directors for Community and my name was on it. You know, they were like, book him immediately. You oh, know? see, I and love that. Great. I love so that. You and you're more exotic. Give... I feel like you're more exotic. You know what <laughs> I mean? But you have to, you have to, um, you know, you have to, like, whilst I think it's, you know, it's a big family, you know, and we, and, and you want to sort of, you know, keep it within a family a little bit. You've got to be on the lookout for new talents and new things. you got to like, mix it up a bit. Yeah, it's absolutely. about, again, it's about balance. It's and and balance. sometimes network television, you know, and it's episodic nature, you know, you can afford to have like no one, like a DP, um, producer, um, AD, script supervisor, like n actors, no one's going to let anybody fail as a director on an episode. They're just not because right. why, why would, you know, the feedback would be, why did you let that guy fuck up? You know, why yeah. weren't you? Yeah, yeah, that's um, self-sabotage in, in the same. Right, so right. we still have to deliver something, whether it be, and I know many shows where, you know, people have carried the director because they were too inexperienced at that time. Yeah. Maybe they'll go on to be a great director, but like people are always saying, you know, network television is not the sort of proven stamping, you know, it's not the training ground. It's not, you know. Scorsese didn't come out from a multicam on CBS. That's <laughs> no. what you're telling me. Because if you think about it, you think about how those shows are made. You get four days prep. You may or may not have a script, you know, um, on the first day that you get there. <laughs> it's true. You might not. What you might have an show. idea. It's like yeah. we're going to go and scout some libraries because they say we need a library, you know. Okay, right. well, what 
in the library, or a, a sort of more traditional dusty fusty library. Okay, let's go and look for those. And you're sort of making assumptions based on an idea for the script, but not any actual concrete uh, knowledge Facts. of what's going to happen. Right. Yeah. So when you do get the script, you need to have some experience as right. to how you, you better have some tricks up your sleeve to deliver yeah. this stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't wait for anybody. Monday morning, 7 a.m., you're shooting those first scenes and you better have it all together. And there's no time for somebody to bury their head in the script and not have an idea and to not be able to, you know, cut, yeah. you know do it. And to do it in a way that is going to represent the, the, the show that you've come into because, you know, the show may have a distinctive shooting style or a distinctive style that you need to emulate, but also tell that week's story. You've got to have some skills, um, which it is just- It sounds like experience. more than, um, definitely more than film directing. You cannot rely like, let correct me if I'm wrong, but you really need to have a good knowledge of cinematography as a, as a TV director coming in, they're not going to be tolerant of someone who's been a stage director coming in to direct, you know, an episode of, of whatever, a blunt talk, and then be relying on the DP asking the DP questions like, how should we shoot this? How should we shoot this? Right? They don't well, have the tolerance that, for that. Like you got to the, come in and you got to know your shit. Right. The DP on Nurse Jackie used to, there was one particular director who came in, um, you know, and was called an actor's director, right. you know, and, uh, and then they'd block the scene, you know, they would block the scene reasonably well. The DP would be, oh, if you just bring them downstage a little bit, that'll help us with, you know, da, da, da. But, um, uh, you know, but they would be getting the performance in the rehearsal kind of in a rough way that they want them. And that's great. That's all part of it. But then when, you know, you finish that blocking rehearsal, we'll turn to the DP and go, what's our first shot? You know, how are we going to, how are we going to shoot this? How are we going to cover this? Right. And I don't think that's, you know, and, and as the DP said to me, it's like, I want you to come in with a cake and I want to help you decorate the cake. I do not want to bake the fucking cake for you, you know, and yeah. then you help me decorate it. That's not what this is about, you know. So, um, you know, they're not paid, you know, they're not paid, you know, in a way that they're going to be out. Yeah, you're, you have to be like, at, here's the shot list or, or something right. like that, well, or I'd like to shoot it in wider shots. Like, what do you usually, okay. You've got to come in with the idea so that the idea is can then be embellished by the people that work on the show and the DP particularly, sure. um, you know, but not just for um, storytelling purposes, for efficiency and for, you know, oh, fucking hell, I've done that with the camera now. God Jesus damn it. Christ. It's balanced on a whole bunch of CDs. Yeah, I'm still using CDs. How about that? I love that. Um, Where's the Betamax? <laughs> Um, but uh, you know, it's just very interesting. I got I got a lot to say on it because you know I've been around a lot and I've been doing have, it for yeah. a long time. And uh, and um, you know, and I think I make a you know good contribute. I got interviewed for a show uh, years ago, and I think they were just trying to blow smoke up my ass. But they just said, um, you know, you can always tell. Like even in an episodic show, you can tell when I've done it. You know, because it's just it has a the pictures have a rhythm to them that is that is different, you know, than and it not not like what like, you know, you can't go into parks and recreation and just start shooting it um, how you want to do it. It's a two camera right. doc, mock documentary show. And that's what you do. But what you can do is, you know, you can experiment with the blocking and the, and how stuff is cut and, you know, and deliver the comedy in that way. So and like going back to what you were just saying, like. The two things, I always tell people, the two things that you need in episodic comedy to be able to direct it efficiently, apart from having a bit of knowledge, is you need to know where the jokes are and know how to land them. 
know how to give them alts for those jokes, different ways into those jokes, different mm. ways to be able to um, tell that joke so you have options. Um, and you need to get on with the cast. And I don't care who you are. You could have invented the fucking show, but if the cast hate you, um, you're They're out. not going to yeah. give you what you need. They're not going to wow. give you what you need. And I've said that for years because I've seen people do it. I've seen people on, you know, like I, when I was a producer on Community and um, you'd go down to the floor, down to the set, and, uh, you know, the cast would come running over and I'd go, he's not directing us. This guy's not directing us. You know, oh, what the shit. fuck? Yeah. And and so I, you know, and he 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 was a he'd come from commercials, was a particularly new director. He's a very good director actually, um, but had had made the fatal assumption that because this is season whatever right. it is three yeah. four episode you know, nine, the cast know what they're doing, and they know that. And that was when I you know I said to him you you know but you've never told this story with that cast yeah you know so you need input and even if it's just a thumbs up. Um, uh, you know, go cut, great, moving on, thumbs up to the cast, you don't even say anything. Well, actors You're are communicating. needy. Yeah, Absolutely. Actors are needy anyway. yeah. Absolutely. They and they that need validation, even if they've been doing it forever. I mean, look, Marianne Seldes, Tony Award winning <laughs> legend, needed someone to literally hold her hand. Yeah, so I, I feel like, especially comedians, my God, comedians that are used to, especially if they come from stand up, need the audience, need that daily validation to, to counteract their yeah. extreme self loathing. And so do, the, so do the so do the writers. That how many times are you standing on set and the writers are going, "Is this funny? Is this funny?" Yeah, no, it's all I mean, a bunch of a ball yeah. of neuroses and I know exactly low self. It's exhausting. So, I'm just exhausted thinking about it. I know, um, and I see myself as a dad. You know, I see myself as kind of like the dad of the family. You know, life coach, encouragement, the and, yeah, dad. And, and and being positive and encouraging, and uh, you know, saying what needs to happen when you know you're not going out looking like that um tonight yeah um, dad i but, never had i'm gonna get emotional in a minute i never had a dad who gave me positive <laughs> fucking feedback fucking yeah feedback. maybe you would only had 33 children if you maybe maybe i would have had my own sitcom uh which i want you to direct that's all i have to say it'll just be a footage of me having c-sections that's the whole show it's a high it's a bottle episode as i like to call it it's just going to be repetitive on a loop um before we wrap up what uh i have two more questions i have one question of how much say do you have in casting can you literally tell the showrunners i do not want this person or can you say i want this person even though you don't i mean you know when can you really exercise your veto or your like i really want this person and um are you working on anything now in terms of covid what the fuck's going on and is that slated to shoot any time in this century well, there's a there's a, 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 a terrible rumor going around that we might shoot. So I'm attached to a pilot for Fox. Um, right. And, um, you know, so COVID obviously has, um, with all everything, you know, we're, we're completely shut down, as, as you well know, and everybody listening to this knows. Um, so there's a rumor that we might start in, in November, uh, which would be great. And I know there's other stuff happening in uh, LA. And I think that... Um, you know, to be honest, I just want to get on and do it. I think everybody's going nuts, including yeah, the people I'm at sure. the studios and the networks who are, you know, you know, they want to to shoot, but you know, everybody's nervous. I think about um, doing it. I don't know, but there's rumor that we'll shoot in November, and um, so you know, it's just been a you know round, just developing and you know trying to sort of keep your brain sane with you know pitching and um, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the act, the casting, if you're on an, ep if you're an episodic director, a guest director, you mm -hmm. get, you, you have a say absolutely of the, um, obviously the main, 
excuse me, the the the, the main cast is uh, and the re regular returning cast to cast. But for the you pilot, know, you're there from the beginning of the casting oh, process. Well, suggesting yes, names but and but all in that. a pilot with this, then yes, absolutely, I have okay. a huge say in 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 what happens. But of course, you know, you have to present your choices to the studio, and then the studio have yeah, to present their choices shit. to the network. Right, right. You know, and then so there's one guy at the network who could just undo a great deal of of work, and you have to stop <sighs> fighting for people or whatever, and you know, so in that situation, you can never, I mean, you can push for people and fight, but ultimately if that, you like know. Like if you really wanted to, could you get your wife to be the star of a show or your kids? Huh. I think, well, I think in my case, that would be my downfall. Uh, but um, no, I mean, look, everybody has to, if yes is the answer, if they can do it and if there's okay. merit, you, you know. You can nudge it along. You can be like, I'd like you to see somebody. Well, I certainly have done that with friends of mine where I've put them, I've called nice. the casting director and said, would you mind auditioning this person? Because I think they're really great or whatever. And, that, and that's nepotistic, Good. of course. And that still happens. And of course, but I think that in episodic work, you get sent the, 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 you know, like the uh, it's going to be right. the, the pharmacy guy, you know, for two scenes behind. Right. The and you're not approving that. Do you have to approve that, too? Even the pharmacy I, guy? I'm allowed to have an opinion. Uh, okay. And if if they're presenting somebody that I've, you know, worked with who I know is not going to deliver or is whatever, you you say, know, so. I can say so. And, you know, then it can come back. Well, we'll take the risk. I mean, I do not have the final say. And I guess, again, um, you're not you want the best that you can, but it's different investment than a pilot where you're like series regulars and this is the future of the show and et cetera, et cetera. I mean. Yeah, that's I, I, I played a, uh, I think I played a, a corpse a few times on Law and Order SVU. Um, and I, they, they're managed to, you know, it's like a regular, semi-regular gig. You know what I mean? They just mm. dress me up. Yeah, different. Ray, Ray a Lynn, we I'm can see you breathing. Yeah, well, you can. I know, I, I think they, the editor has to end up freezing the frame. Right. My eyelids, Actually. I can't help it. My eyeballs move on. It's like, it looks like I'm yeah. REM sleep. Yeah. You know, whenever and that, I watch a death scene. <laughs> I just watched a, a war movie with, with them. I forget their fucking names, but I just watched a, what's it called? I just saw it. It was about, oh God, it was in Afghanistan, it had Orlando Bloom in it, and it had uh, the Clint Eastwood son, who's a spitting image of him, I guess. Oh, really? Scott Eastwood. I yeah, know. it was good. It was good. But, um, but there, every time there was a death and they held on it, I kept looking to see if the guy's, you know, thing is moving. Never moved. Not even like Maybe blood was not whole... flowing. Well, maybe there's a whole career for you in kind of corpse coaching. For Mastering. TV. Well, I'm a terrible corpse coach. My, that's what I'm saying. I go into REM sleep and you can see my pulse. Yeah, but you can point out all the pitfalls is what you're saying. That's true. It you can be a pitfall, pitfall workshop. That's right. You could do like on, I don't know, you could do an actor's workshop on corpse. Corpse pitfalls with Raylan Casper White. Yeah. How to die properly. That's right. That's right. Um, Tristram, you have been delightful. I mean, well, seriously, and I'm a, a huge fan of your work. And I do, but I do think, and that's why I brought you on. Uh, I do think you're a master uh, director, and I think that you oh. are the perfect kind. I'm going to blow some smoke up your butt, so get your rectum ready. Um, <laughs> you widen it, widen it. I, the plume, plume of smoke, just get it really nice. And um, uh, you have a, a, an uncanny knack of a being a diplomat, which I think is important, and and talking to actors and giving them feedback without talking down to them. And just being a gentleman, which I think is is crucial in letting actors feel comfortable. I don't. Not everybody can be a Lars von Trier that has to abuse Bjork into a good performance. And obviously, you're doing comedy, but just like drama, you have to feel an actor has to feel comfortable to be good at comedy. And if they're not, if their muscles are not relaxed, it's not going to be funny. It's like me trying too hard with the lighter, you know. So any director that makes a feel, that's why I never understood casting directors that are assholes. I'm like, do you not want to get the best performance? 
out of your actor. I never understood that. They're casting directors that are harsh and kind of intimidating. Like, why would you want to intimidate? Well, because you know it's I mean? another layer of power, isn't it? They have, they can, they have the yeah, but it's like come on, go get laid and come back on Tuesday. I but, know. Um, anyway, so you have that uh, that ability to also be skilled, and like you said, even when you talk about stuff, I'm like, this guy does his work, and you know visuals, and you know how to tell a story, and you're also an actor's director. So I get why you're working so much. It's a there's oh, this is an oh. iota of the industry that is a meritocracy. That's all I have to say. Well, I remember when I did Absolutely Fabulous in England, and and uh, we were in New York shooting that um, that episode, uh, which was a Christmas special that year for for the Beeb, and um, and I remember we were out to dinner um, with everybody, and I was sitting next to Joanna Lumley, and we were just having a conversation about the deterioration of um, this is a long time ago, uh, the deterioration of um, of sort of manners in the world and everything and she just right. looked at me and she just went manners cost nothing you know and and she's absolutely right you know and I think that I think that you know particularly when you're talking to it doesn't even matter whether it's the actors I I, I hopefully I talk to everybody the same way because I mean you you know like like a general you know you want your army of crew to follow you into battle and then and, and I know I was an AD I know where we all down tools because this director's a fucking ass yeah, and we're not gonna yeah, help yeah, you yeah, we yeah. are not going to help you you're on your own pal because you're a fucking dick yeah and so I've you know and as an AD I've worked with some really shitty directors both in terms of what they were doing and in terms of how they were doing it and um and I've worked with some really wonderful wonderful people uh, that you learn a lot from. So you learn as much from the bad as you do from the good in terms of, of how not to do things. And so, you know, I'm very, very fortunate that I had that because that's, I think, the, the important thing is, you know, people need to pay their dues in this business. You know, I, I'm a firm believer in being a runner, being a PA, working way, way up, learning the business, learning the ropes. And, uh, you know, in the army, I don't know. I'm fixated on the army, but I know it's if you were serving seven tours in Iraq. But okay, <laughs> no Somerset uh, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but the uh, yeah the badlands of Somerset. <laughs> but the the um you know you can't be a, a lieutenant in the um in the army and then be a field marshal the next. I'm, week. I'm with you on the on the analogy. I I'm not disparaging. Yeah. So let me just hammer analogy. the analogy home. <laughs> <laughs> I love you, Trish. Stick around while I before I stop the recording because I do want to just. Uh, Yes, I will. Well, thank you so much. Uh, for, you. Thank you for having me. Of course. And of course, guys, check out uh, the podcast, www.xraepod.com. Last week's episode, I had Professor Andrew Stott, English literature, and we talked about Shakespeare a lot and oh, wow. plebeians and Joseph Grimaldi. It was a fascinating convo, Tristram, so I highly recommend. I would love to. And, um, and of course, when uh, Tristram finally gets back to shooting, you can watch his new pilot on Fox. Is it Pivoting? Is that what's called? Pivoting? It's called Pivoting. Let's hope it gets uh, picked let's, up, let's, uh, starring let's... Eliza Coop and Ginny Goodwin, and uh, written by the wonderful Liz Astroff, who's a very funny lady. Oh, I know. Yeah, uh, I love her work. That's awesome. Um, I have no idea who she is. Yeah. No, I'm kidding. I do know, and I think she's alive. <laughs> I was believable, though. I'm practicing my, my, um, my brown nose. Um, I love you all. Uh, stay tuned. This will probably air in a few days uh, on the, again, www.xraepod.com. Thank you so much, Tristram. This is Thank Raylan Casper-White signing off. Mm -hmm.